Hey, you're listening to Ask a Freelancer, episode 11. Ask a Freelancer is brought to you by Cushion, a simple forecasting app for freelancers. Cushion gives you a bird's eye view of your schedule and income so you can plan months ahead and reach your financial goals for the year. Learn more about Cushion at cushionapp.com. Let's get to the questions for today's show. Now, remember, these are questions that you sent in to at CushionApp on Twitter, and somehow we've gathered real-life recordings of you asking those questions. So, here it goes. Are you an anxious person? What do you do to calm your nerves about all the things that can go wrong while you're trying to become a freelancer? Okay, so this question is, are you an anxious person and what do you do to stay calm through all the rough waves of starting freelance or being a freelancer? And I want to just say that I can be an anxious person for sure and actually think that if you go into freelance, And unless you're just uh, a crazy exception to the rule who just happens to be wildly successful and just generally amazing all around, you're going to run into lots of different trouble uh, being a freelancer. And I think that it's super, it's completely normal for that to be true. And I think to me, it kind of reminds me of, you know, the difference between being employed versus being a freelancer is kind of like babysitting a kid versus having a kid yourself. You know, I think if you babysit some kids for one night, it's easy to be like, this is amazing, man, kids are the best. Kids are so easy and fun and it's just a party every second. Uh, (laughs) And if you know, if you're a parent, you know where I'm going with this. And I think when you're employed, it's easy to, you know, be a part of the crew and criticize the captain and how everything's run and just you have that level of security because it's not your baby now i'm mixing metaphors pirate baby metaphors uh (laughs) but it is it's just you you don't have that anxiety of i've got to keep this ship afloat you it's you know there's that level of comfort because it's not your baby But then when you're in freelance, all of a sudden, everything is on you, sink or swim. And I think it's incredibly, uh, incredibly common when, when you're running a business or you're a freelancer to experience anxiety. So I just want to say that first and foremost. The second thing I want to say is that if you're experiencing high levels of anxiety, uh, that can be dangerous to your health, don't take Dr. Pizza, Dr. Andy J. Pizza's word for it. Uh, I am not, I am not a, a, a legal practitioner. If you have those serious levels of anxiety, you should go to see a professional. But beyond that, if it's just the regular kind of common anxiety that comes from steering your own ship, I will tell you the things that really help me. The f- first and foremost, I would say just regular self-care, I think is really important. 
you know, your work is connected to your play. It's connected to your uh, friends and family. It's connected to everything. Your mental, physical, emotional health, they're all interconnected. The thing that probably makes me stay the most sane, probably that works more than anything, is exercise. I've started to get into jogging again, and it's been the best thing in the world for my mental health. You know, the other day, I was feeling down, feeling just completely overwhelmed by all the stuff that's on my plate, and some things didn't go exactly the way I wanted them to go, and started, you know, giving in to all the anxiety and worries. Ended up taking a short nap, woke up, didn't feel better, uh, <laughs> and then I went on a jog instead. And I didn't want to go on a jog, but after that jog, I was feeling fantastic. Everything got put in perspective. Uh, I realized that none of these things I was dealing with were as big of an issue as I thought they were, and I felt empowered and excited to get on with it. And I, w you know, I think a lot of that negativity came from just being lethargic. It really didn't have anything to do with, you know, my actual situation. So, you know, self-care. And t two other things. One, solidarity. If you're not already connected with people who are freelancing out on their own, trying to make their own stuff happen, I highly suggest that you connect with those people because just knowing that it's normal and just sharing that weight with somebody else, being able to process, you know, especially if you're someone who needs to process through words rather than in your own mind, that can be a game changer. So, you know, get out there, get to, you know, your local chapter meetings for whatever it is you do, whether it's design or advertising or illustration, any way that you can get, a, get around other people that are struggling with the same sorts of things will instantly make you feel so much better. Uh, and the last thing I'm going to say is go out there and find resources, find things that make you feel motivated, that help you uh, turn that anxiety, that anxiety and that worry is usually not very productive, but if you can turn that energy into constructive, productive energy, and instead of sitting around worrying about your problems, working on them, uh, if you can turn that worry into work, find whatever it is that helps you do that. I actually have another podcast called Creative Pep Talk uh, that I create for that very reason, for to help creative people not sit in in their anxiety and frustration and worry and jealousy and all the things that uh, come with trying to be a creative person, and give them actionable tools to turn that worry into work. And uh, yeah, so my podcast might not be the thing for you, but there could be, there's a billion resources and you can probably even think back through, you know, the recent past and see the things that helped you switch from worry to work uh, and just lean into those things and make those things a part of your regular diet. What does freelance look like year 10 to year 15? How did your business and projects evolve? The second question is, what does freelancing look like 10 or 15 years in? How does it change? How does it grow? So, I have some basic answers, but I want to start with an answer that's a little bit more 
mystical, if you will. Uh, <laughs> I've been thinking about this idea that a freelance career or a career in general uh, should be like a good old game of hot and cold with the universe. Uh, and here's what I mean. If you ever, when you were a kid, did you ever play that game with a sibling or a friend called hot and cold where they pick an object secretly in their mind and then you try to find what it is and as you get closer, they, the, the words they're saying get warmer. So you, they might start with glacier, freezing, frostbite, ice cold, and then gradually work up to lukewarm, <laughs> uh, warmer, you're getting hotter, hot, lava, you're on fire, uh, <laughs> until you find the object, right? For me personally, as a freelancer or an entrepreneur, I think this type of mindset is so much more powerful than thinking 10 years down the road and saying, here's where, this is my 10 year plan, this is my 15 year plan. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is that your career ends up being a series of experiments and pivots till you get closer and closer to that sweet spot where the thing that you have that's special is meeting a really high demand in the market. And I don't think you can just sit back in an afternoon and come up with good ideas and make a really solid plan and just you know plot that out for the next 10 years. I suggest doing something more like looking out over the next 12 to 24 months, the next one to two years and saying, in case you couldn't do that, that math of how many months that was, uh, but one to two years and saying, what, uh, what do I think is the direction that I need to take. Based on what's going on, my excitement, my talent, my skills that I have in this minute, and based on what I see uh, a gap in the market for in the next one to two years, which direction should I be heading? And then I would take, I would systematically kind of uh, come up with a campaign or a project or something active that pushes you in that direction, that tests that hypothesis, and then go ahead and commit to heading that direction for a season of time. And then once you start to gather new information, once you finish that campaign, finish that project, reassess how it went, take the new information that you got from doing those tests, and then rechart your path. And I think if you do that, 10 years from today, you could be in a place that is completely unrecognizable in, in nothing you could have imagined. And that's exactly what's happening for me. So I started in 2008, I'm coming up on uh, 10 years. And I would have never known that a large percentage of my business would be a podcast and an online course that I created all by myself. Uh, and that I would want to switch from that I would want to start turning down certain types of illustration jobs to do that. Like I never, I never would have dreamed that that would have been my process, partially because I didn't even know, uh, you know, podcasts were just starting to be a thing. I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined that would have been a par big part of my life. And so I think, especially with the way that technology and all kinds of things are changing, the things you might be doing in 10 years might not exist today. And that's why I think this, this uh, hot and cold with the universe game is the best way to approach that kind of longer term thinking. Now, beyond that, just some simple answers, if you were looking for a simple answer, uh, two things that I think should be changing 10 years in. I think two things should be true. One, 
you should have reoccurring money of some kind, passive income or clients on retainer. Uh, there's a billion different versions of this same thing, but you should have things that are giving you more sustainability, more stability, um, things in your career that mean that you're more established and you have less large question, month, uh, question marks from month to month. Uh, and then the second thing I think should be true is hopefully by that time you'll be profitable. And here's what I mean by that. And I think it's an idea that a lot of freelancers don't think about. Amazon.com isn't profitable. Now, they may or, not, may, or, may or may not be in debt, but they're not making a profit yet. And I, th I don't think a lot of people think about this. If you, unless you're kind of in tune to business in any way, you might not realize that a lot of the companies out there are not profitable. At best, they're breaking even at this moment. And so I think for freelancing, you know, for the most part, let's step out of freelancing and think about small business. Most small businesses uh, don't, are not profitable for the first several years and usually are making a loss for the first several years, uh, let alone breaking even. And yet I think a lot of freelancers have a lot of worry and concern and can't really understand that that's kind of the way that it goes when you start journeying out on your own. Now, hopefully for the first several years in your business, you're breaking even, meaning you're making enough money to pay yourself a salary as much as you need to survive. But 10 years in, Hopefully, you've been able to position your rates, you've been able to position your passive income and your other opportunities, uh, whether or not you have employees or partnerships, and you've been able to figure out ways of scaling what you do, at least to a certain degree, to, to a certain degree to create margin, and that that margin starts to compile into uh, a surplus and a profit that turns into savings and things that you can invest in your career. And I think that's a really good goal for 10 years in. How do you land big name clients? I'd love to work for Nike, Airbnb, etc. You get the idea. Fan cosmic question. This is uh, how do you land big clients? I love this question. Uh, it's a question that has been on my mind for quite some time and you know early on especially I thought really hard about that because I wanted to be uh, someone who was making work with the best in the biz. And so this question has uh, been something I've been trying to figure out in a kind of systematic way since I got started. And I feel like I've made some headway. So here it is. This is what I think is one way of landing big clients. And I'm trying to do it in such a way that feels a little bit like hacking, feels a little bit like being strategic, not just, um, you know, make fantastic work, bring it to their doorstep and hope that they like it. I don't actually think that's how it happens very often. If you happen to be a freak of nature who makes such incredible work that that works, fantastic for you. You probably don't need to listen to this podcast, but if you're like the rest of us who, you know, are going to work really hard, get their work better and better and need to figure out how to make this all work for you. Listen on. Here's what I would do. 
I would be trying to avoid the bottleneck. Uh, in your question, you mentioned clients like Nike and Airbnb. Those are clients that, uh, especially Nike, Nike is so established and it's so prestigious and so many people want to work with them. The opening to work with them is a crazy bottleneck of freelancers. There are so many people that want those jobs, right? And so what I think you got to do is you got to start thinking strategically of how do you avoid bottlenecks? How do you avoid standing in line for ages uh, for something you don't even know that's going to come to pass? And so what I would look for is companies that have the reputation that's on par with companies like Nike and Air Airbnb, but they're weaker links. They're smaller companies, they're companies you have an in at, uh, any way that you can start breaking in to those bigger clients because I really believe that the toughest part of landing big clients is getting those first few under your belt. And so what I would do is find the companies that have the big, big reputation, just like these ones that you're talking about, but are just lack that giant bottleneck. And here's how I would do that. So. This is how I did it. When I wanted to get into band posters, I wrote a list of the bands that I wanted to work for. And then I went and did research on which of those bands, because in, in my mind, those bands represented, uh, you know, they were all bands that I thought were established, that I was a fan of, that I had friends that were a massive fan of, that I had read reviews on my favorite websites about. So they, in my mind, these bands' reputation was completely equal. Let's say we have 10 bands here. But then I went and did the research and tried to find which of them were the most accessible. Because, you know, one band might be just as critically acclaimed, but have a tenth of the audience. But if I can start working with that band, all of a sudden that gives me leverage and changes my position in the market to where other bigger bands start taking me seriously. And so I literally went and looked for which of those bands still have their web, still have their email address on their website. Which of those bands have, has the smallest following on uh, Spotify? And I circled it down to just a short, small, short list of bands that I thought I could get in contact with and that would have some level of accessibility and it worked. I got my first few band posters that way. That's my approach. Now, there's a few other things you can do. Another thing you can do is weed out all the catch-all work in your portfolio. This is one of the things I see done that I think is just a massive misstep. Is if you're if you're making enough money right now, uh, you know, to pay your bills, then here's what I say you do. I say get everything out of your portfolio that doesn't speak to the type of clients and the type of work you want to be doing in the future. Get it all out of there. If you want to do editorial illustration, get that logo work off your website, especially if it's subpar and it's just up there to get some random jobs to pay bills. Take that work, put it in a PDF, and send that PDF to people that you think you could get work with in the meantime just to pay bills and, and what have you. But make your portfolio scream the type of work that you want to be doing and don't water it down with catch-all portfolio work. Stuff that you're just trying to get on the side 
to make ends meet. So crystallize your portfolio. And the third thing I would do is prove it. Maybe you don't have the perfect work in your portfolio that speaks to the clients that you want to work with and the market that you want to work with. I would say start doing a large number of pieces uh, or, or projects, whatever it might be. And it might even be something you can do kind of quickly um, and build up that portfolio that uh, that's exactly what that client is looking for. The, the more clearly you can tailor that work to the types of clients that you want to work for, the, the less work they have to do in trying to figure out if you're the right fit for them. So in my personal life, I'll give you an example of how this works, uh, a little analogy. So in my personal life with my kids, we've got some kids, we like to go to the zoo. The zoo on the weekends uh, and holidays is a complete madhouse. And so in that same way, we will go, we'll take time off, we'll switch days with a weekend and we'll, we'll take time off and go during the week when no one's there. If we, let's say when it's Christmas time, uh, we, uh, there's these lights at the zoo and it becomes a complete madhouse and it's actually just as cool two days after Christmas, but there's nobody there. And that's the kind of thinking that I, that I think, uh, has been the most effective for landing big clients. If you just go towards the top five clients that everybody all, already wants, they're completely established, it's this romantic notion of doing that thing and you hammer all of your time trying to get in that door, you're gonna spend your time in giant lines and you possibly will never be seen. Hey, maybe you even know a guy who works at the zoo who can get you in there after hours. Maybe there are some clients that you could work with that would help build your reputation where you know some employees that might give you a, a way in. I think you gotta do whatever you can do to break in and then it'll start growing a little bit more organically and then you might have a little bit more power to approach those people uh, directly. All right, that concludes another episode of Ask a Freelancer. Don't forget to check out Cushion at cushionapp.com. I'm your host, Andy J. Miller. You can find my illustration portfolio and my other podcast, Creative Pep Talk, at www.andyj.pizza. Thanks to Nate Utesh and his band Metavari for the tunes. You can listen to more at soundcloud.com slash metavari. Send us your freelance questions on Twitter at CushionApp, and it might just get answered in the next episode. Thank you very much. See you soon.